Hello and welcome to the 14th episode of the Invisibility Today podcast. I'm your tiny disabled host, Laura Elliott. This month, I'm so excited to introduce you to Sabrina Richmond, a writer and performer working in the migrant sector, who's here today to talk about her one-woman show, An African in the Snow, integrating BSL into theatre and the power of storytelling. Welcome to the show, Sabrina. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. So, (laughs) (laughs) firstly, do you want to introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about your background and work? Yeah, great. Um, gosh, it's always like, what do you say? <laughs> uh, but I, I think my strongest identity is thinking of myself as an artist, a performing artist and a writer. Mm-hmm. I have a background in journalism, so that used to be my day job uh, a decade ago. Um, I also, one of my other hats is I work in the migrant sector through a Refugee Week leadership project. Mm-hmm with CounterPoints Arts, uh, which is about bringing forward people with lived experience of movement and displacement, making sure they have a seat at the table, being parts of decision making, and really just trying to normalize what it means to be not from the country. Um, Yeah. That's amazing. Now, you've just, this ties in quite nicely, because you've just finished the RADA showcase for your one-woman show called An African in the Snow. Yeah, I Um, did. Did you did you find that your work in the migrant sector was valuable in making that show? I think it's it's such a huge that's such a big question, isn't it? I think what I have really learned because the this project with Refugee Week is a new one, and what I've really learned is just how amazingly resilient we are as human beings. It's definitely helped me think about my own family's journey and story because I'm a daughter of displaced people. Mm. So kind of meeting people who are trying to start life again has been very important, actually, on a very personal level. It's hard to really properly express, but that's that's been a really important part of my journey this year and definitely helped me reflect quite significantly on what to talk about in the play. Because I think you know how it is when you start writing something, it's in a certain place, and as you think and think, you're like, well, I can't not talk about this aspect of lived experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think, in a way, there was probably a little bit of wanting to protect certain areas of one's life. Because if you are writing from lived experience, I think it needs to be, I feel very passionately that it should be carefully done, it should be safely done, it should be done with the kind of people who will help look after your vulnerability. Because I think performing and writing already can be a vulnerable space. But if you're drawing from lived experience, that's an even bigger, it's just another layer Um, And I'm really proud that I got to work with a director who had that sensitivity, who actually helped me, you know, sort of coming to the tail end of it, seeing that he actually helped me protect those areas that I might have later thought, oh, did I go to a place I didn't want to? So helping the writing really grow and find shape and clarity, but also as the human being doing it, that you're not exploiting yourself for the sake of art you know those processes are looked after in a very humane way Uh, and I think uh, director Matthew Evans has been very instrumental in that 
And I'm so glad you were able to find someone like that because it's so exposing to do something like that. Yeah. And like you say, as the dust clears, you want to be able to look back and say that you supported yourself as well as the work. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And it's just been such a wonderful learning curve and I feel very of course I'm still recalibrating so I'm probably being very super over sentimental <laughs> no I understand that it was only very recent I'm very very grateful to all the people that have supported you know by giving their time because that's a huge thing we're all so busy and I think you know having arrived in the country not that long ago I didn't really have a network of, you know, friends and family and that sort of thing. So to have had people from writers and directors and people I feel comfortable calling friends be like, yeah, you should do this and gave their time by reading the play and attending, you know, the last two days um, and just even words of encouragement. And of course, friends and family from back home who are so far away, but, you know, they were sending texts very early in the morning just to say go for it so that also reminds you that yeah you're never alone mm -hmm. and that was quite an important thing um because i think discussing the play has got to do with you know race migration otherness in general and that can be a lonely experience sometimes but it's actually not so many of us experience otherness and so it's important to kind of find a way to come together whenever we can yeah, absolutely. And you've you've touched on it a little bit there, but um, you're kind of you're dealing with a lot of questions of identity and the mm. inter intersections of identity in your play. Um, yes. As okay. as someone who's who is also a black woman and working in theatre, and as you say, not long arrived in the UK, do you feel a particular urgency in yourself to tell these stories? Oh, absolutely. I for me, this it was a, an absolute desperately urgent time uh, I think the country is going through an extraordinary time uh, and I think at times it feels terrifying mm. you know you're kind of I've been saying to lots of people that you know when you come on when you come home and you put on the news there's this feeling that's kind of like you're not safe even in your own home because you're being told all the time how unstable everything is mm. and for someone who's passionately obsessed with making home and belonging I've found this period of hours that we're in to be very challenging but it's also what made me really strongly want to focus on what I'm doing with the play the writing the people we're engaging with because I think it is important to talk about what we're going through you know mm -hmm. uh, there is an opportunity now as hard as it seems to actually make a decision about how we want to live it doesn't all have to be scary and terrifying. We actually have to find a way to share this space. We all live here. Um, so, yeah, that's that really made me feel like I need to talk about this right now. And what's been interesting is, as you mentioned, the intersectionality of it. I'm a black woman. I'm an immigrant. Um, I am also from African diaspora. And those three things interact with society very differently. And in the theatre world has its own layer of, you know, what people expect, what people want to see or are accustomed to seeing. But I think what I've really loved, um, especially from the people that have supported the play, is 
you know, they're like, well, now is the time we are talking intersectionality because identity is layered. Mm. You're not just, you know, even these three identities, even to describe myself as an immigrant, that's my label for myself. Mm. Uh, because I think a political status doesn't mean or translate into a personal identity, but for me it does. Yeah. Uh, and it's impacted how I think, the kinds of stuff I like to do and, and watch. Um, and I think it's just high time we have a space where there are layers. You're not just an African woman telling one kind of story. And that's what I love about, you know, what we've created. There's this global citizen with her intersectional identity. Uh, and it's not any of the stuff you expect uh, from an African immigrant. And I love that about the play. Yeah, completely. And it's interesting because, you know, you talk about it being a very unstable time. But one thing that I think so many of us find stability in is stories and how we how we tell our own story. And I'm it sounds really trite to say, but there is a lot of power and activism in sharing these stories and having them heard. Yes, absolutely. I, I think now more than ever, we're just in this phase where everyone's like, we've had quite enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think it feels, you know, I think, I think of it, this deluge is overdue. I think there's this kind of bubbling around and it's not just in the UK. It's, you know, across the pond, you're kind of watching what's happening in America and, you know, so I think we're just feeling like, you know, I want to have ownership over what I talk about and most important I even want to talk about my story mm. because in the past and by the past even five years ago you wouldn't see some of the stories you're seeing now people are like I want to speak because mm. we're just bursting um, and I think it's essential and at the same time I think it's also important how we tell these stories uh, that they're not co-opted that they're not um, I often think of it as being cookie cutter because I think sometimes we're like, yes, we're all about intersectionality or we're all about gender and so on, but only certain types of those stories get told. Yeah. And so I really want to go deeper and deeper and deeper. So there's these layers we can reach. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it is important. And one thing that I find very exciting about the play is that you've fully integrated British sign language. Yes into the performance <laughs> yes. as well ah oh, that has been really really wonderful um it was my first experience with british sign language integration mm. and um but our director's done it before and it just felt so wonderful you know i i, I think a couple of months ago i was up north and i was watching a rehearsal and half of the cast uh, were deaf actors and many were using British Sign Language to communicate. And I kind of was sitting there and going, why aren't we doing theatre like this? Because it's not that hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I think, and by not that hard, in that if it's part of the process, it's kind of like adding just this layer. It's, it's a world, I kind of came out of that rehearsal going, there's a whole world of theatre that is I haven't engaged with because I haven't engaged with BSL. And really, we wouldn't have been able to do it had uh, this portion uh, of um, interaction been funded by RADA. You know, they kind of sent an email out and just said, is anyone looking to integrate BSL? 
And we're like, yes, because they're going to fund it. So we had a couple of rehearsals. Ali Gordon is pretty fantastic. She's um, expressive and it was wonderful in the breaks to have these discussions because you know what it's like with the play, there's all this detail. And I think we were learning another language. There's a lot of language in the play. So Adifia Sal was this wonderful layer of language and learning for myself as well how detailed it all is, yeah. that it's this wonderful experience. And what Matthew Evans, the director, did was, because it was integrated, we were moving. So it, it was almost like it wasn't a one-woman show anymore, and that was so fantastic. Because yeah. all the time we'd been rehearsing up until this opportunity came, you know, it's, he's in his space, I'm in my space. And when Ali came, I was like, ah, oh, there's someone else in the space. And, <laughs> you know, if... I move one way, she moves the other way. So we were connected almost by an invisible thread. What was lovely that was that a lot of our hearing audiences were like, wow, I, I didn't realize how great this was, you know. And one of the audience members said what was wonderful is that the BSL interpreter wasn't sitting somewhere in a corner by themselves, um, that they were part of the performance. Um, and I know Ali doesn't think of, herself as a performer but she really is just expressive body wise and yeah I've loved learning the detail of these descriptions that it's a rich experience mm. and because there's all these languages in the play we've also had these lovely debates around what's how do we express this because it's not English to sign language it's lots of other languages and that's been really really fascinating that's so interesting and you you touched on something earlier you said that you you kind of saw this rehearsal being done and then walked out thinking wow this is a part of theatre I've not I've not yeah. engaged with and it's it's interesting that you say that it's so easy to do once you involve it in the process it's yeah. something that uh more theatres are doing and more performers are doing but it's it it's really interesting to me how like more accessibility for different audiences actually changes the performance as well and enhances it it does it really does and i think even if we in our case only had a few rehearsals i think that if we'd also started from the beginning knowing that we would have the opportunity for this to be funded i think you would even write differently and that's what's really interesting that it doesn't you know it's often thought of as an as an add-on mm. And I think what this experience is teaching me and encouraging me is that actually, you know, it, it's not it's not hard, you know. I think there's lots of rich discussions to be had. And I think the importance is to incorporate it as early as you can. Uh, but even if you don't, even if you have just a few rehearsals somewhere midway through, if you sit down right, talk about all the concepts understand what uh, a non-hearing audience is needing it just gets so much clarity comes um yeah i know i'm not expressing this with any sense at the moment because my brain's kind of just reflecting on how wonderful it was um i think you i think you're expressing it well i think you're expressing it better <laughs> than you think you are <laughs> Now, I um I actually come, well, many years ago from a bit of a theatre background myself. And I know I know theatre in general makes strides all the time to be more inclusive. And like you say, intersectionality and these and more stories are coming to the fore. But it's still often or it was a few years ago, in my experience, a very white space and a very able bodied space. 
what would you like to see happen in theatre as a whole to make it more diverse? Is this just a case of bringing, of more stories being told, the more people will feel comfortable? Or is there more to be done, do you think? Oh, gosh, yeah, there's definitely much more to be done. I think what we're seeing now is the beginning of change. Mm. Uh, and I think what we should not be is just kind of be like, oh, it's starting, so it'll happen on its own. We need to continue to facilitate that. We're seeing it in who's running the buildings, uh, the kind of who's being employed in those literary posts. So I think our both our arts and cultural buildings, our theatre buildings, are looking at overhauling. Uh, and sometimes that can be a terrifying word because people are like, oh, what about me? Where's space for me? <laughs> I think what we're talking about is equalizing the playing field. So it's right down from not just who's at front of house, but who's making decisions, who's on the board, who's, you know what I mean? Mm. Who's in the high echelons of the power structure. Mm. And I think that then makes it that on stage we start to see the true face of what Britain looks like, you know? I think there's space for all of our stories, as much of a cop-out as that sounds. Mm. But I desperately feel that, for me, the integration isn't just about on stage. We want to see our buildings being run by the full range of diversity in the country, because mm. our country looks like that. Yeah. Um, I was in a very interesting conversation a couple of months ago, and the gentleman said to me, well, you know, our audience is 90% white. And I was like, that is fine. And what I was challenging him on was that it doesn't mean because you're white, you can't watch a film with people who aren't like you. Yeah. You know, so I was thinking of myself as a black woman. I was like, well, am I... Am I an Italian-American man? Because that's the kind of genre of film I watch. I watch a lot of sort of mob stuff. So it's just like, we also need to protect diversity of thought. And what we're trying to encourage isn't just, oh, we need more black people on stage. We're saying anyone can tell a story. Mm. That a black lead can tell any kind of story they want to that is not necessarily linked to their race. Mm. And most importantly, that anyone can watch that. Yeah. You know, we've had these beautiful examples uh, in London with um, Barbershop Chronicles and Nine Night, you know, and we, we sometimes hear in the theatre this expression of it's a black play. And you're like, no, it's a story of a family grieving, yeah. which is universal because we've all lost someone. We all know what it is to be in a family. We all know what it is to love. So when it's being pitched as a black play, I find that very complicated. Yes. Um, because the truth is, there is the side of it where it's saying we want to see more faces, you know, and it's not just black, it's it's the whole range of diversity. The labels are so complicated, you know, because sometimes you're like, I didn't get a vote on what label I get, but yeah. there it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, labels are imposed, not chosen, aren't they? Absolutely. And I think the, um, I don't know if you remember last year from a casting perspective, one of the casting directors kind of posted something about, you know, such a disappointment that so many white actors have to um, lose good jobs. You know, it's all right to have a bit of sort of vavavoom was the term she yeah. used in terms of describing black actors kind of, you know, like a little spice. <laughs> uh, 
and that's you know and, and a lot of people have tried to reclaim that and be like yes I am Vavavum for sure <laughs> <laughs> but I think what it is for me what was disturbing about that was that one does see that with a lot of roles there seems to be a set of what kind of roles can be done by which diverse group mm. um you know and and what i'm very much passionate about is making sure we're not cookie cutter you know saying earlier mm. that it doesn't mean if there's a black woman on stage that she's not being like hey sister you know <laughs> what i mean with those kinds of stereotypes yeah. but often it is uh so you walk into rooms all the time and that's what's expected and you often find in plays that a black woman of a certain age is probably she's experienced a lot of hardship she does a lot of those roles by herself um i was watching an interview i think with octavia spencer on um the norton show and you know she was just talking about how seldom it is that you get to work with other actors uh you know of different ethnicities because usually there's only the one mm. in the in the film in the play in the so and how that person is portrayed and i think it it's the same when it comes to disabilities i think that there is a very important need for us to share the stories that come from that reality mm. but likewise i don't think as a black person about going home every night and being like i'm going to watch 12 years a slave i also <laughs> watch comedy i yeah, also yeah. watch you know whatever t- different tv series so it's it's about this giving full range of access to storytelling i think mm. it's important to take care of the untold stories that include and show people and for lack of a better word normalize mm. one's existence yeah uh in society but i think what was exciting for me to do uh bsl was that yes the story wasn't about this kind of exclusion but it was also sharing a story that can be heard by anyone yeah um yeah so th- i feel like those two streams have to run alongside each other yeah absolutely i was reading something the other day where um people were saying that in scripts if ethnicity or or disability or what have you isn't mentioned then the default is always white and able-bodied Whereas, you know, if somebody's wanting to put a black character or a disabled character in, they have to specify that because apparently you can't just have a black or a disabled actor playing (laughs) another character, you know? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, obviously sort of starting to write a little bit, I've become overly kind of you're putting down those ethnicities uh, just to make the point, Mm. not because... You know the f- the future way down the road sometime hopefully we'll still be alive yeah. is that the default isn't uh you write someone's name down it's just like oh yeah, yeah, yeah i see a white person playing that and you're like no the default should be it could be anyone yeah. especially if it's got nothing to do with anything that the character's doing um and and that's something we really want to strive for and hope for. But in this beginning bit, it is this strange thing where we do have to say, oh, no, I'm looking for this, I'm looking for that. And I would say even further again that I don't know that there are roles that should be like, oh, for black people or... Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. It's like, oh, they need to be urban because somehow we also just want to tell a certain side of what what that person's identity is and i'm just like no i want to read a script and they're like oh a woman walks into the room 
and it's like oh she's asian yeah that's it yeah she's disabled you know what i mean um yeah and even the invisible disabilities if you will right the ones where you can't see on the outside yeah so i think the industry has is starting to make important strides but we i think we still need to be very responsible for facilitating the rest of it yeah absolutely now you've obviously just finished the rada showcase and are coming down off the post show high <laughs> um but what's uh, what's next for you now after you've had a bit of a break what are your plans for the future to be honest i really because i've been at it for quite a bit I really just want to take it as easy as possible uh and you know every phase of a thing you do you're kind of thinking what's next uh, I'm probably going to be doing a little R&D at the end of the month but the next two weeks just trying to take stock of what I've learned and thinking about writing something new in terms of a play which <laughs> you know it, somewhere in the middle you're a bit like I don't think I'll write another play <laughs> <laughs> I think there's something fun about feeling that fluidity, you know, that you feel free to just write stuff. Um, and what's great is I am on the London Library's Emerging Writers Program. So pretty much for the next year, I'll be spending a lot of time in the library uh, working on a novel. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that's kind of something that's going to be a constant thread, whatever happens in terms of acting and other projects. Um, yeah. That sounds like you're moving into a very exciting time as a writer. <laughs> it is, it is. I think it's just um, being open to opportunities and possibilities and, yeah, remembering to keep your chin up because I think a lot of it's complicated and uh, challenging and just trying to remember the good bits as well. You can follow Sabrina and keep up to date with her work on Twitter at at life of underscore Brie. Normally at this point in the show, I'd point you in the direction of some excellent disabled and chronically ill creators to look out for this month. But I've been weighed down more than usual by my illnesses over the last few weeks, so you'll sadly just have to wait until next time. For now, we've reached the end of July's podcast and I'll see you all again in August. If there's a disability topic, activist, creator or news story you'd like to see featured here this year, you can contact me on Twitter at, at @visibilitytoday or email visibilitytoday at gmail.com. For now, thanks for listening and I'll see you next month for another look at what's invisibility then.